We're excited that you're joining us online today. At Calvary, we are connecting people to Christ and to community. We hope you're inspired by today's message. So we're in week two of this series, uh, How to Study the Bible. And we're going to look at kind of another method that you might do that this morning. But I wanted to start by talking to you about how we connect, we connect with people through their stories, right? You get to sometimes, have you ever had a person, it was like hard for you to like that person? Anybody? No one wants to admit it, yeah. Anybody ever had the experience where you, you found out a bit more about their story and then you're like, oh, like it, be, it was sort of easier to like them now? So this is not a very good illustration of this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So anybody know who Tom Brady is? quarterback of the New England Patriots. Mike, Mike Orr is not here this morning, so I can tell this story. If he was here, he would, like, get up and leave. But uh, so Tom Brady, for some reason, I don't know, I don't like Tom Brady. <laughs> like, I have no good reason for it, but he's easy for me to not like. But there's, when you know his story, it's a little harder to not like him, all right? So he went to University of Michigan, and uh, was quarterback there, and he, he was coming out of university they figured he would go in like the second or third round and so it comes to draft day he's got his family all together and they're like watching it on tv fully expecting that second or third round that he's going to get picked and then he doesn't get picked and he doesn't get picked and six more quarterbacks get picked before him he gets all the way to the sixth round the 199th pick and you got to remember those of you who are like not sports fans just stay with me for a minute but um this takes hours like, they don't pick like this. Like, each team has a certain amount of time, and, it t and they have to have a bajillion commercials. And so it takes hours. So it's hours and hours go by, and he finally gets picked, 199th pick, right? And now he went on to go to nine Super Bowls, win six of them. Many think that he's, like, the greatest quarterback of all time. And so... I still am not a big fan of Tom Brady, but I love a good underdog story, right? So it's harder for me to not like Tom Brady knowing that he was never a number one pick. He was kind of touted to be second or third anyways. Then he fell, and partly because he did so bad at the, at the, the, the um, like, oh, I forget the name of it now. But anyways, what, what is it, Nathan? Combine, yes. The NFL Combine, they go, they test their speed and all this stuff. And he's not really that great an athlete, so he stunk at it. And, they, and so then he fell and fell and fell. It's true. And uh, he's just the greatest quarterback. But anyways, so, but because of his underdog story, it's like hard for me. I'm like, well, geez, I still don't like him, but it's harder not to like him, right? And so you get to know somebody's story. And I read a quote once that said that we impress people with our successes, but we connect with people through our weaknesses, Right? And so Tom Brady, like, you figure, oh, he's kind of got it all. You're like, ah. But, like, but you hear a little bit more about the weakness in his story, and you think, okay, like, you know, he overcame a lot. What a, what a guy to be able to overcome that and still, you know, even when he got drafted in New England, they already had a quarterback. He had no chance of starting until the guy got hurt, and then he never, you know, then he started every game after that just about except for if he, he was hurt. So he overcame a lot. And you're like, man. So, but what I want to talk to you about this morning is how we can study the Bible by studying the people of the Bible. That there's a lot to learn through studying about the people of the Bible. So like this biographical kind of method. So not that I'm saying there's like characters in the Bible and you're like, I find that guy hard to like. But uh, maybe, maybe, right? Some of them are hard to like. But 
you know, but you find out some, some of the story of the people of the scriptures, and it helps you get to know the whole story of the Bible. It helps you get to know what the Bible is and what they meant and why they would have said it that way or why they would have done it that way, right? And like I said, you know, it makes Tom Brady a little harder not to like because he overcame a lot. And in the same way, we, we can learn a lot about the scriptures by studying the people of the scriptures. And so last week we said that D.L. Moody said the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge but to change our lives, okay? And it's kind of the key quote of the whole um, series. You'll probably hear it every week. But the Bible is not given solely or only just to increase our knowledge, but it was given to change our life. Like if you had to have, if you had to get, get it down to one purpose, you would get rid of knowledge altogether and you'd say it's, it's given to change our lives, right? It does both of those things, but the main purpose is to change our life. And if you, again, if you look at the, the core value signs in our foyer, the Holy Bible, we believe that, that the teachings of the Bible are the way to significant life change. And we, we believe that that's true, that the teachings of the Bible are the way to significant life change. And if you've not had that experience, right, like maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've read the Bible, but I didn't really get it, or uh, it didn't really do much for me. Like, I didn't feel like, wow, I'm so different now. Part of that is this, what we're talking about in this series. It's, it's the getting to know the scriptures, it's getting to know what they meant. Like, let me give you an example. There's a, so John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is in jail, and he's going to be, like, he's, he's on, he's going to be, like, beheaded, right? Like, he's waiting for that day. And he sends this message on to Jesus, and he's like, are you really the Messiah? And, like, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And he, would, he had just spent, like, the last few years telling everyone that he was the one that we've been waiting for. But now he's stuck in jail, and he's like, Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And so Jesus responds to him and he, with, like, with six things. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But he says, you know, the, the, uh, the sick are being healed, and the lame are walking, and, you know, like, he names six things. And I don't know if you knew this, but the... The Israelites had a list of seven things the Messiah needed to do. When the Messiah comes, he needs to do all of these things. The one thing that Jesus didn't say was he didn't say that prisoners are being set free. Right? So he lists all, other six, all the other six things that the Israelites expected that they, the Messiah would have to do. And he lists them all to John. He says these things are all happening. But he doesn't say that prisoners are being released. Because Jesus knows that John's not going to get released here, right? And he says, I'm the Messiah. You're the one I've been waiting for, but I'm not going to come and get you out of prison. <laughs> like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go, like, you're going, this is going to go to the end, right? And we don't even, like, you know, if you don't study it, if you don't look into it, you don't even know that, right? You just think that Jesus just lists a bunch of random things, like, well, all these miracles and things are happening, so I must be the guy. He actually listed all six of the things that they expected would happen, except for he left out the fact that prisoners were being set free, and it was like a message to John. I'm the Messiah. You were right. I'm the one who's come, and everything's going to change, but this, <laughs> but you're not, like, you're going you're gonna to give your life for what you believe in. Isn't that amazing? And I don't think it's us reading into it or whatever. John would have known those things. Jesus listed those things on purpose. And so sometimes it's because, like, 
my, my point is that sometimes we've read the scriptures and not really understood it or not got the full extent of what it means. And you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to, like, have a million degrees and know everything. But if we were to study, if we were to spend some time, like we talked about last week in that devotional method, if we were to take some time and pray and ask the Lord that he would show us how we would apply the scriptures whenever we read it, that there'll be things that come to mind that we didn't know. If we, if we grab some of these resources that we talked about last week, commentaries, and because I'm not saying, like, I didn't, it's not like I, you know, I'm so smart and I just came up with that. I read that in a book. And, uh, so, and I'm, you know, relaying this information to you. But, the, and the, but commentaries in the same way will give you thoughts and facts and stuff that you never thought of. And it kind of opens your mind and understanding to what it is that God is speaking. And so sometimes we haven't had a full understanding because we just haven't kind of dug just deep enough, right? Just a, if we just did a little bit more, if we asked a few questions. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. What if we asked some questions of the scriptures? What if we dug a little deeper? And today, I just want to encourage you to think about a biographical way of looking at it. So in particularly, the Old Testament is really written like in narratives, right? In stories. There's all kinds of stories of people in the Old Testament. And if, like, if you read the book of Genesis, the whole book is really based around about seven people, Right? It's Adam and Eve, it's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob, and it's Joseph, for the most part. And it's like almost the whole book is, is around those people. And, it, and it's, again, the Old Testament in particular is written in a really narrative way. Like it's story after story after story. And the New Testament, except for the Gospels, obviously the Gospels, there's tons of stories. But for the most part, the New Testament is really like instructions, Right? It's, it's declarations, it's instructions, it's teaching. And, but often, what's really interesting is often the instruction of the New Testament is illustrated in the Old Testament. And you'll even hear, you'll see the, the writers of the New Testament will do that. They'll, they'll give the instruction and then they'll say it's like, and they'll point us to the Old Testament where there's a story, there's an illustration of that truth, that principle of what took place. And so... One more thing I want to remind you about from last week was that we said there was a study done in Canada in 2014, and it said that the, the people that are the most likely to engage with Scripture, right? So the people that are most likely to read Scripture and have some understanding it, with it, engage with it, have it change their lives, are people who have confidence in the Scriptures, have conversation about those Scriptures, and who have community around the Scriptures, right? So we said, what an advertisement for signing up for the the uh, Alice Honey School class or getting to be a part of a small group or whatever, right? Like, actually, Dan right now is following the life of Abraham. And what we're talking about this morning is what they're doing in that class. But it's, it's confidence about the Scripture, conversation about it, and community. So I, I'm going to bring that up over and over again because I'm hoping that all of us will ask ourselves the question, do I have confidence in the Scripture and if not, like, there's ways for us to build and find that confidence. I don't know if you were with us, but a couple of years ago we did a series on Ephesians, and every Sunday we gave you a reason why you could be confident in the Scriptures. We, we did it every Sunday. Maybe one of these weeks I'll just give you that list. Um, but we can be confident in the Scriptures, and, and we want to ask ourselves the question, am I having conversation around the Scriptures? Are there times when I'm talking to anybody about the Bible, and do I have community around it? Like, is there some kind of group that I'm, like, am I here randomly? Am I here consistently? And am I a part of something where we're having community, and, the, and other people believe in the Scripture, they're impacting my life? And, and I say that to people who are 18, and people who are 80, you know, and people who are younger than that and older than that, right? That for all of us, we really need to have confidence and conversation and community around the scriptures, and that's how we'll engage. So 
we can learn a ton from looking at the people of scriptures. We can learn by looking at their positive attributes, by looking at their negative attributes, right? We can learn what to do or what not to do. We can learn who to be. And so today we're going to look at that, uh, that biographical method. And so what I want to do is we're going to walk through the steps of this method with the life of Stephen. So many of us read through the book of Acts in January during our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, if you did that with us, you would have read the whole life of Stephen that we have in the scriptures. Everything that we know about Stephen in the scripture is found in the book of Acts. And there's just a few different passages. Little, little pro tip for you if you want to try this. Start with someone like Stephen who has like three different references, not Abraham, because you'll be at it for a while, right? But, uh, but somebody like Stephen or somebody who has just a few references. So we're going to do that today. And in your bulletin, if you want to take notes, there's um, all the steps are right there. Or if you want to leave it blank and do it this week with, with a different person, a different person of Scripture over the next couple of weeks, say, I want to study Elisha or whatever, then uh, you can do that. But if you want to kind of follow along, take notes as we do that. But we're going to walk through this this morning. So the life of Stephen. One thing I did want to mention, there's a, the, the Bible in lesser or greater degrees actually introduces us to more than 3,000 people. So if you were to, you know, really take hold of this method of studying the scripture, there's like a lifetime of, you know, people that you could learn from. But so Stephen, um, the first, the first step is simply to select the person you want to study. So that's what we're doing this morning. Sorry, I did that for you. But uh, we're talking about Stephen this morning. Step two is we make a list of all the references about that person. So you can find details about Stephen's life in Acts chapter 6 through to Acts chapter 8, those three chapters. In Acts chapter 11, there's one verse about him. In Acts chapter 2, there's another verse about him. And that's um, what we know about Stephen in the scriptures. Step three is we give some first impressions and observations. So we read through all of what we know about Stephen, and then we kind of write down some first impressions, some observations, some things that stand out to, me, to us. So I'm not going to read all of what we know about Stephen, but I want to start with kind of our introduction to Stephen, the first six verses of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, 1 to 6, we're going to read those this morning. So Acts chapter 6, but as the believers rapidly multiplied... There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. I just want to point out that, isn't it crazy that in the early church, like this is like at the very beginning and they're fighting about like these little things. But anyways, verse 2. So the 12 called the meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food pr program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert of the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So this is our introduction to Stephen. Really interesting, right? It, it, it says Stephen, and then it gives us just a quick little description of him. A man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Like when you're, again, when you're thinking about some observations or some things that stand out to you, it's like, wow, wouldn't that be great if people were like, 
you know, Paul Limburger, he's a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jason Rutkowski, if they're like, I think it's pronounced something like that. And uh, a man of faith and the, the Holy Spirit, right? But, you know, if we were described in those ways. So, number four, we make kind of an outline of their life, right? We make an outline. Um, you can do it chronologically or kind of however you come to it, but you make an outline of their life. So I'm going to give you an example here of an outline of Stephen's life. So he was chosen by the early church as a leader, which we just read. Then he had a, one of the things that really stands out to me about Stephen is how wide his ministry was. So in the book of Acts, chapter 6, like in the same chapter, we see that he was, he was sort of waiting on tables. He was running the, the, this food program they talked about. But he also, in Acts chapter 6, performed miracles and preached and taught powerfully. So he had this wide range of things that he was involved in, and, uh, and he did all of those things. Then he was persecuted. So in Acts chapter 6, he was opposed by these Jews who were from surrounding area, from overseas. Uh, they then falsely accused him. They arrested him, brought him before the, uh, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin it was called. There were false witnesses that testified against him. He defended himself. If, if you're interested in, in Stephen, you read Acts chapter 7, and it's really interesting. He defends himself in this, against the Sanhedrin, and he gives this, this uh, overview of the Old Testament and then comes to a conclusion at the end of it. But it's really interesting because he gets his chance to talk, and then he just gives this, like, it's... Not of the whole Old Testament, but the like first five books of the Bible. He gives this like whole overview of them, and then he kind of makes his point. And you know, he not—I don't think he's doing it for this reason, but he shows his knowledge of the Scripture that he knew these these Jewish scriptures that he had grown up with them and he knew them. And so he kind of he just displays this knowledge of Scripture, and then he makes his point. He defends himself. And then he testified to Jesus in Acts chapter 7 nearing the end of the, the chapter. And then he was stoned by an angry mob at the end of chapter 7. And one of the most interesting things is he had a ministry, after his death, there was like a ministry of Stephen's life after his death. Because of that persecution, the, the apostles mostly stayed where they were, but disciples, followers of Jesus, scattered and they scattered all over the place. They were afraid for their own lives. They scattered to all these different areas. And it was really a fulfillment of the prophecy in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the four corners of the earth. And it's actually Stephen's death, his stoning, that sent disciples all over the place. And they, although they did kind of run in fear, they were telling people the gospel all the way along, right? you got to love that. Like, uh, they weren't really ready to stay in Jerusalem, but they're, when they go, when they went, they went and they told people about Jesus, and the gospel spread really because of Stephen's death, right? Which is kind of an amazing thing that God, there was purpose even in that. Step five, we give some general insights and observations. So you go and you read it all over again, right? And you, you read a bunch of the references again. In this case, you could read them all again, right? And you, uh, then you make some observations about what stood out to you. Here's a good place to do some commentaries, too, like I was saying, to read some resources. So you, you go to BibleGateway.com or you go to the Bible Project. The BibleProject.com is this amazing website. It has all these videos. And so if you're reading a particular book, they have a recap of every book that gives you sort of like... It, it will, 
it actually is amazing how much knowledge they can fit into like a few minutes. And then before you read that book, you, you come to it with some, con- with some context, right? Or in the same way, they'll be, they'll, I don't, they don't have a video about every person in the Bible, but off of many of these people that you might be thinking about um, doing a biographical study on, you can watch a video and they'll kind of give you an overview recap and it will help you with some of these um, these observations and insights and things that might stand out to you. But what stood out to me when I was reading the story of Stephen is how many parallels there are between his life and death and Jesus' life and death. When you do that outline thing, you're like, oh, wow, like he was persecuted and there was a false witness against him. Like, oh, well, that happened to Jesus too. And then he like had an undeserved death. Like, oh, that happened to Jesus too. And there's all these parallels of Stephen's life and Jesus' life and death, the way that it came about, that he was falsely accused, that there was a mob that killed him. Like, there's just all these different details. Another interesting thing, again, about Stephen's life is his legacy, is about the, the lasting results of his life. So his life, although we only know a few chapters of it, right, it forwarded the plan of God. And like, like I said, his death caused the disciples to scatter and, and really fulfilled that idea that the gospel was going to go wide. And his death... His, interestingly, too, there's like in the, in the book of Acts, it tells us that Paul, the apostle, who, his name was Saul then, and he hadn't yet come to Jesus. He's standing there holding people's coats as they stone Stephen to death. But later in Acts chapter 22, there's like a reference to that, that, you know, part, there, that there's part of the way that Stephen handled his death that helps Paul come to know Jesus, and another, another parallel I forgot to point out about he, he, the way he died and the way that Jesus died is you get Stephen praying for the people who are throwing stones at him that they would be forgiven, that this sin wouldn't be held against him, just the way that Jesus did. Right up until the moment that he died, he's being like Jesus, right? It's actually, it's really amazing. Um, step six, you identify some character qualities. So you kind of point out some things about the person with Stephen, it's super easy, and there's a lot of them, right? So the Bible says he was spirit-filled, that he was wise, that he was faithful, that he was available to God, that he was persistent, that he was holy, that he was knowledgeable, that he was bold, that he was brave, he was forgiving, he was respected, and he's, his wit, he witnessed to Jesus. Now, all these things don't directly, they don't directly say he was bold, but the way he speaks to the Sanhedrin, you're like, man, that guy was bold. He was brave, right? And so there's all these characteristics of his life that we would just love to have part of our step six is you look for bible truths that are illustrated in their life right so what principles of the bible what truths do we know that are illustrated through the way that they live their life and so um as as some examples from stephen's life the presence and comfort of the holy spirit in the trials of life and so you see that when he's going through these difficult times that the presence of god the presence of the holy spirit is with him. We see the truth that there's that th- at times there'll be false accusation, at times there'll be persecution, and Jesus said to us that it will happen, and it happened to Stephen as well. Um, that the, there's a you know Second Corinthians and other themes in the New Testament about go- God's grace being sufficient, and we see that in Stephen's life in Acts six ten, God's grace is sufficient um, when we walk with Him. Step eight is a summary of the main lessons that you've learned. And again, this is where I'd really point to you going to some resources. Read a commentary um, or, those again, those other resources I pointed out. Um, like I said, Bible Project, a great example of that. But you see, like for me, it, there's like these outstanding characteristics of Stephen, right? His willingness to do anything 
um, for Jesus and even including giving up his life. And the way we see him give up his life, he witnessed to people both in life and in death. And there's just, you know, all kinds of things that you can list there that we could list. Um, Step nine is a personal application. And we talked about this last week, about how the really the most important part of Scripture interpretation is application. The reason we spend all the time to interpret it is so that we can apply it. Because we don't want to just be hearers, we want to be doers of the word. And so although we've kind of, we didn't read it all and we, fl- we flew through it a little bit, I, I, my, I would ask you this morning, like how could you apply the way that Stephen lived his life to your own life? How can I apply to my life the way that Stephen lived his life? So, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of possibilities. But I was thinking, you know, we could say, uh, you read Stephen's life, you could walk away and you could say, man, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day reading the scripture and praying. Because when he talked to the Sanhedrin, he, he, he didn't have to, like, go get his Bible and he didn't have to study up beforehand. He just got dragged there and was asked questions and then it, the scriptures were just right there. And, or we might say, you know, I'm going to memorize some scripture because in the same way, Acts chapter 7, it's, it's, like, it's like the scriptures were hidden in his heart that he might not sin against God, right? Like the, like the psalm tells us. And he had the scripture hidden in his heart. For me, it's his boldness. It's his bravery. It's his courage in the midst of being persecuted, in the midst of difficult times. He, I, I read it and I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, how can I have courage? How can I apply that to my life? So I'm saying to myself, like, God, would you open up a door? Would you, this week, give me an opportunity to share the gospel? And when I get there, like, help me be brave, right? When I see it, help me not shrink back. Help me not just not say anything or pretend that I said what I thought I should by doing it without, you know, getting myself into any kind of trouble or whatever, right? But what if we were brave? What if we were bold? What if there was this boldness that came over our lives? I I read a quote from Andy Stanley this week that really um, I think is powerful. He said the prayer of the early church wasn't for revival. It was for boldness, right? So the prayer of the early church, like a guy like Stephen is not saying, oh, God, revive me. Like he's on fire for God. He's living for God. And his prayer is for boldness. The disciples, when they prayed, they, 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 in a different story in Acts, they get dragged in front of the, the, these leaders and they, you know, they put them in prison for a night and then they say, get out of here and don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they, when, what I love is not only do they leave and go tell people about Jesus anyways, they tell them. They say to them, we cannot listen to you over listening to God. We have to talk to people about what we've seen and heard. And they go away and they pray for boldness, right? Like there's like this courage that was in the early church and we see it in Stephen's life over and over again that there's courage to, to tell people about Jesus and to stand up when we need to and to know when that is, to have wisdom in that. But there's courage in their lives. And uh, yeah, that's, that's for me what stands out. That's the thing that I want to apply but when I, when I read the stories of the people in the Bible, and I, I hope this stands out to you this morning, it reminds me that I have a story too, right? And so my hope for everybody in this room is that when we read a story in the Bible and we read about somebody who messed up or somebody who did great. The one thing about Stephen is you're looking in there for like, where is his weakness? Like, it doesn't tell his whole story, right? So we don't know his whole life. But 
but there's so much good that God has done in his life. But when we read the story of somebody in the scriptures, my hope today is one of the things that you'll walk away with is every time you read a narrative, every time you read a story about a person in the scriptures, that it will remind you that you have a story too. That God is working in your life the way that he was working in their lives, the way that we can learn something from them, the way that we can be encouraged by their courage, the way that we could maybe learn something from a wrong step that they've taken, that we can do the same in our own life. And that others can learn from our lives because God is writing a story in our life. And the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, right? The same spirit, the same Holy Spirit, that the same power it took to raise Jesus from the dead is living within us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And the Bible says he will give life to our mortal bodies, that he'll give life to our story, that he'll cause us to walk with God, that as we walk with Jesus, we stay in step with the spirit, that he is writing a story in your life that will impact others. That who knows, maybe even like Stephen, in his death, he impacted others and it rippled on and it kept going. And you know, and you know people like that, that in your life, that they impacted you and they're, they've long gone and you've grieved them and they continue to affect your life. They continue to change the way that you live. They continue to change the way that you treat your family. Like their, their ripples are affecting you. And in the same way, God is writing a story in your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, and we're going to conclude in just a moment. But I do pray that, that every next time you're reading a story, and whether it's a good story or a bad story, or whether the person succeeds or not, that you're reminded that God is writing a story in your life. And that there are so many stories of God redeeming weakness. Again, Stephen is not the greatest example of that, but we... But there's all kinds of examples, and we talked about this last, last week, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That he doesn't just write stories for people that are perfect. There's all kinds of stories of people in the scriptures. You, you think about Moses, right? And Moses starts off, you know, in, a, in this little, uh, you know, uh, not, I was going to say canoe, it's not a canoe, but this little brush and he floats down the water and he ends up, you know, in, in Pharaoh's palace. But when he's 40, he figures he's going to deliver his people and he kills a guy and it backfires because now nobody trusts him. He goes and he lives for 40 more years. The Bible says on the backside of a desert, he spends 40 years, and then God calls him to go and free his people. He uses them in powerful ways. He frees his people. But it's not like he's perfect. He may, he, 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 his story's going like this, and he's going backwards for like 40 years. So you're here today, and you're like, my story doesn't look like Stevens. It's not straight like that from the, the parts that we know. It's kind of all over the place. That's the kind of people that God uses. That's the kind of people that he looks for. Those are the stories that he redeems. He redeems those stories. He, co he comes into weakness and he brings his own strength. And there's glory to God that comes out of it because of the weakness of where it started. That there's actually more glory for God because of the weakness. It's not like we, it's not like there's less glory for God. There's more glory for God. There's no credit to come to us because everybody can see the weakness that it came out of. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check us out online at calvarydunville.ca and like us on Facebook for quick updates about what's happening here at Calvary.